Hello, and welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. I'm Adam Huss, coming to you from Los Angeles, California. Thanks so much for listening. The sponsor for this episode is Vermont Vineyards. That's VT, like Vermont. Vermont Vineyards is a family-run business owned and operated out of small-town Vermont. They design and install vineyards of all shapes and sizes. Whether you're hoping to establish your own custom home vineyard or you're a winery looking to add a couple of planted acres, the team at Vermont Vineyards will help you grow your grape-growing dream into a reality. Serving Vermont, New England, and beyond, Vermont Vineyards aims to reduce stigmas attached to hybrid grape varieties and New England wine regions while bringing cold climate viticulture into the backyard where it can be enjoyed as a hobby or a passion. If you've ever considered making your own wine, this is a great way to get started. To get a sense of what a project with Vermont Vineyards might look like, reach out to Stephen by visiting vermontvineyards.com slash OWP for Organic Wine Podcast. That's vtvineyards with an S dot com slash OWP. And strangely, the OWP has to be lowercase. I also have an interview with Stephen that I'll be releasing in just a couple weeks because he has a great story and we talk about some of the important things you should know before planting your own vineyard. So stay tuned. Also, I want to give a special thanks to the Patreon subscribers who inspire and humble me and who make this podcast possible. Thank you so much. If you would like to support this podcast, you'll find the link to our Patreon page in the show notes. And now I'd like to introduce you to a source of inspiration for me personally and my guest for this episode, Maria Bailey. Maria's winery is Mad Marvelous, which, as she mentioned, sounds like a superhero name. And maybe that's appropriate. Maria doesn't really make wine with Mad Marvelous. She creates living embodiments of personality and spirit that you can drink. She calls them her creatures. Don't expect just grapes, but any and every natural thing that produces sugar and flavor in her environment. Don't expect traditional wine either. Unless by traditional you mean the actual traditions from cultures around the globe that were practiced for millennia prior to this strange thing that has happened for the last 50 years. Maria is also the founding mother and co-partner of The Bathing Collective, which you'll just have to listen to find out what it is and the future that it hopes to bring about. I had never talked to Maria before this interview, and I didn't know much other than what I could glean from the Mad Marvelous website and Instagram. As she started speaking, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I basically said hello, and she spent the next hour talking about everything that I believe and care about. You may actually hear me laughing in the background at times because I was thinking about all of you who may have been listening for a while, assuming that I either asked her to talk because I knew and agreed with so much of her ideas or that I paid her to say what she's saying. I didn't, I swear. I hope you enjoy her enthusiasm and passion as much as I did. Maria, welcome. Thank you for doing this. I'm looking forward to talking. Yes, thank you so much, Adam. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much and good morning to you. Good morning. Yeah, I love this morning time too. <laughs> so can you start by sort of introducing yourself and Mad Marvelous? Uh, you know, what what it is you're doing there and, and you know, some of uh, maybe the bathing collective as well, just to, you know, set up some of the things that you're involved in right now. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Maria <laughs> Bailey. I am the founder, 
the owner and wine natural wine and cider producer for the California natural wine and cider brand called Mad Marvelous Wine, aka Mad Marvelous. So it's a play on my name. And as I share with people, you know, when they first meet me, I'm a scientific mind with an artistic heart. So <laughs> that coincides with the whole name, Mad Scientist and Marvelous. M is in Mary, A R B is in Victor, L U S, like a name. I mean, because one of the first things I heard when I mentioned this before I released it out into the world to some friends, they were like, this sounds like a superhero name. I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, like, I love that. I'm humbled by it. And yeah. I guess we can look at it like that because my brand focuses on producing high quality, unique, personality driven natural wines and ciders uh, that range from the usage of organic, biodynamic, grown fruit, in addition to foraged fruit and sometimes botanicals that are all climate friendly, meaning they thrive relatively well amongst climate change, or they could be drought tolerant, they could be frost resistant uh, to just, you know, not needing a lot of water love, I should say, or a lot of tending yeah. to in general. And these are a lot of varieties, like when we talk about apples, I mean, apples, I feel people miss out on because especially now we need to pay more attention to because they are a little more climate friendly than wine grapes are like Vitus vinifera. And there's so many of them. There's a plethora of different cultivars. I feel people are missing out on. They have so much character and they kind of resemble, uh, you know, wine grapes in some ways, like tannic apples, like Arkansas black or a black twig, uh, wixing crab. For I yeah. think that's one that more people are commonly used to hearing that I typically use in my ciders. I want them to be alive. And that's why I kind of call them affectionately my creatures, because I don't <laughs> manipulate nor control the integrity nor the personality of any of my app, my ciders or wines at all. And that's why I don't use a lot of sulfur. I use native yeast fermentations. I will minimize the amount of sulfur if it's absolutely necessary or, or just not add any sulfur. So I do have zero, zero wines and ciders that I produce that all have very uh, vivacious names. I mean, so for instance, you have a apple quince co-fermented cider infused with lemon verbena and Roman German chamomile I freshly foraged for. That's called mm. Palm Quincy. And <laughs> this, is, this is like, it's a, re it's a relatively like, like complex like wine-like cider. It's not sweet. I don't make sweet ciders. I make bone-ass dry ones just like how they're supposed to be made. And, yeah. <laughs> and that that's something where I feel people will get a better understanding as to, you know, what all is in that cider or wine. I mean, people get confused at times when they have that because they're, they're asking me, is this a white wine? Because this tastes like a white wine, but it but it but it's not made of grapes at all. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little confused. I'm like, well, remember, Let's think of Merriam-Webster, all those dictionary definitions. What is wine? Wine is a fermented, it's fermented fruit. It's yeah. fermented fruit. That's what it is. So why are we, why are we just focused on Vitus vinifera making high quality, fine, exceptional wines when 
When you look further back in ancient practices in Egypt, in Ethiopia, and parts of Asia, even, they have been making some of the most legendary, integral, like foundational fermented beverages in human history. And people forget about that. And they forget that a lot of them were working with honey or they're working mm. with apples, may occasionally work with grapes, but grapes weren't the only thing on the menu. They weren't yeah. the only thing in the winery at all either. So they were working with fruit that still exemplified their culture, their terroir. And they were working with the, with the planet a little bit more in a sense of, you know, wellness was their focus. And that's another key piece with Mad Marvelous is we want people to feel good after they drink our wines and ciders. And we want people not to feel hungover. We don't want people to have headaches from too much sulfur additions or any artificial ingredients. We want them to feel like they can take on the world afterwards. Not to say, you know, it's a superhero thing. I, I don't yeah. want to put anything like that. But, you know, that's why I that's why I infused Palm Quincy with lemon verbena and chamomile. It's not going to make you pass out, but it is going to make you feel chill. And it's it's a glue glue. It's, yeah. it's totally like a porch pounder, as I love to say. It's one of those yeah. where you can either like sit on a porch and people watch somebody and, and enjoy like a couple of glasses, <laughs> maybe the whole bottle. Or you could just decide, I'm going to sip this and really appreciate it like like the wellness base focus that it provides me. And then yeah. we're on the other side of the spectrum with Mad Maxine. So Mad Maxine is what I call a big, bad, bold ass red. How I okay. love my reds. And think of cab, think of cabs, think of like those big, like big zins, like it has that kind of personality, but wilder, because there is no common Vitus vinifera in that wine. It's 100% natural red blend with certified organic Syrah from Gris Vineyard, which is a legendary vineyard in Dry Creek Valley in Sonoma County. And then you also have some wild red hybrid grapes that have been growing untouched, unsprayed for at least 20 years amongst wild blackberry vines, wild olive trees outside of Sacramento. And then you have Tinturier hybrids and native grapes that were picked outside of Sacramento County as well. And these are red flesh. These are rare, but people forget that, yes, they were blended historically in other wines, a lot of European wines to give color. Because when you press the grape, red juice comes out on like other common red wine grapes like Cab, right? So with that, they have a thicker skin too. They have more phenolic acid. So they have more of that protection in the bottle that they provide where it allows me not to add sulfur to the wine. So that is why that is a zero, zero wine. I don't add sulfur unless it's absolutely necessary. And it's not going to be no more than 40 parts per million sulfur because I want people to enjoy it. And yeah. that is the reason why I called it Mad Maxine is because that is symbolic for the future where wine is heading. All the fruit in there is climate friendly. All of it is drought tolerant and it doesn't yeah. need a lot of water like Pinot does or Chardonnay, you know, like those two, uh, those two grape varieties, I feel like are, they are very, they may be very popular right now because of European influence and politics. However, they're really not going to be that relevant in the next five years, I feel like, because they can't keep up with climate change. They're very prone to frost. And that's another reason why I feel Matt Marvelous is part of the 
of where the future of wine and cider are heading because we need to pay more attention to the usage of underrepresented fruit varieties. We need to pay attention to the usage of working more with cider and then also being open to creating more sustainable byproducts out of grape skins. And I know, you know, with Paquette, uh, Kurt, shout out to Wild Art Farm, Todd out yep. there, uh, yep, to, yep. you know, quite a few others all over the place, like yep. not only on the East Coast, but the West Coast doing this. They forget, though, what about apples instead of water? Why? Like I live out in California, as you know, I live out in <laughs> Sonoma County yep. and we're experiencing a drought. And right now, instead of the usage of water, why aren't people focused on making a sustainable byproduct by rehydrating the grape skins that are usually composted or thrown out by winemakers, mind you, with unfermented apple juice? So rehydrate those grape skins with apples. There's so many. And this is the time that we need to be able to save these orchards, especially the ones that are very old. And have so yeah. many cool, unique, flavorful varieties out there. And we know they're water retentive. So why aren't yeah. we using them more? And this is this is why we need to really focus on working with what the land and nature provide us more instead of forcing. We need to be able to work with climate change, not against us. Too late to be working against it, guys. Way too late. <laughs> so for all these all these billionaires out here that are donating like Patagonia to to fight climate change no you need to be like investing into small businesses like us okay (laughs) like we're the ones (laughs) we're the ones that are making a change we're working with what nature is providing us by responding with nature with creativity and ingenuity so uh when it comes to like why I founded Mad Marvelous in the first place I um this was after being in the wine industry, like on and off for about a decade. So I started in wine officially back in 2015. And this was when, you know, my background, my educational background is, is involving biological science and psychology. So I got my uh, BA degree uh, in Minnesota where I was raised <laughs> uh-huh. uh, through with a, uh, Anthropology. I had a bachelor's. I obtained a bachelor's degree in anthropology with an emphasis of forensic science. So I took genetics, biochem, biology, chemistry, and that's where my mindset is. That's why I tell people I'm a scientific mind. I love science. I love nature. And I got my master's degree in IO psychology. So if you really put that together... I love analyzing human behavior and nature. I really do. Like if you, if you break it down, I do. So, but I also yeah. love working with them. That's what, that's what inspires me to create the way I do. And people, society, experiences, nature are some of the most profound muses that I feel like, you know, we can really, really take a lot from as artists and, and even entrepreneurs and scientists. So that's what I do. And And I eventually was in the corporate world and I'm like, okay, all right, this is very, very um, stress, stressful for me. Like I wasn't able to have a a really healthy living life balance, even though I wanted to help people. And I realized, you know what, I can still help people through my other passion. So this was around the time I moved from Minnesota to Ohio. I was finishing up my master's degree in IO psychology 
And I had the ability to like have the flexibility to do it online to a degree. So I was down there living with my parents and I'm like, well, I can't just be in school. I got to work too. <laughs> I'm like one of those people. I can't just yeah. like do one thing. I am yeah. a multitasker like at heart. So I found a part-time job because the economy was not that hot right at the time when I arrived to Ohio in 2015 for me to get a full-time job in HR. And that was along the lines of my master's degree. I needed to get that hands-on experience. So I said to myself, well, what's the next best thing? I need to go after my passion, which was wine. I wanted to pursue that more. So I found this uh, Cincinnati wine shop, this really old one called The Wine Merchant. Walked in there the first day I, I visited. Was not expecting anything. I just so happened to look around and I was impressed with their selection. I saw, wow, they have all the wines, you know, categorized by region and then subcategorized by subregion, like, you know, all of it. And I never saw so much organization in a wine shop, like with such a large variety. They had a cellar. I mean, they had a wine vault everything, an area for wine tastings and pairings. So I just so happened to shoot my shot that day. I was like, hey, um, I'm a grad student. However, I'm also interested in become a, becoming a sommelier. And I know I want to get the hands-on experience. I've been, I've been studying on and off for the last year or so amongst my own graduate studies. And I wanted to see if I could get a part-time job here. And they were like, well, you know what? That's amazing. We would love to like hire you. However, let's like have you come back tomorrow for an interview with your resume. Da, 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 da. So I was not expecting that at all and came back the next day, shared with them my passions. And they said, well, none of us here are sommeliers. However, with we do have one. I take that back. There was one. But like there were a total of five owners of this shop and all of them collectively had over 100 years of experience in wine from traveling all over the world, working for wineries, you name it. So she was one of the owners who was interviewing me was, was just very welcoming. She's like, you know what? We may not have that status, but we have the knowledge and we have the experience and we'd love to like share that with you while you work here. So that was a crash course for me. I, yeah. I wasn't there for a year. I mean, it, it felt like it because I ended up getting a wine buyer role right after that. Um, working for a larger corporation and was a cheesemonger for them. But during that time, I learned so much. I learned everything from deductive wine tasting to distribution to, you know, negotiate, negotiating prices on wholesale to, you know, just wine and food pairings, but in real life not just reading in a textbook or anything. So that right. that was great. And I applied it to my next role where I was involved with wine buying, cheesemongering, um, and really like launching a wine bar. So I did all of that. And eventually amongst all of that, working at other wine bars, wine shops. In 2019, I ended up going through the court. I guess I should call it formally the Court of Master Sommeliers. Um, yeah. And I know now it's known as the Corda Sommelier. So I went through there. Uh, and then after I took my exam, I mean, of course, we know, like, after you take one of those exams, you, you need your brain to rest, because it's a brain <laughs> overload of information. <laughs> and I was I was coming straight off of 2018 graduating with my graduate degree. So if you can imagine this was like nonstop, like Drake song, like, this is a really like, 
nonstop. I was going from school to the next school, which was the court. That's what I was doing. So after that, I said, all right, I am done with formal education. Okay. Like I am done. And I, at this point, I said to myself, I'm a hands-on learner. I'm also an artist and I need to, I need to work a harvest. I, yeah. I want to become a wine producer. That's And I was like, after working for wine bars, wine shops, building wine programs, I'm like, what else is there? I, I was I was bored at that point. And, yeah. and I know like in wine, one of the best parts, and this is what one of the reasons why it attracted me when I transitioned from the corporate world to wine 100% in 2020, was it's an ever-evolving, long like lifelong learning type of atmosphere type of world to be in you have to be a lifelong learner in order to thrive in this industry you have to and that's one of the things i i share with people i am a lifelong learner whether it's formal or it's on the streets or it's you know with different types of multifaceted experiences as long as they're hands-on i will do that so i worked my first harvest after getting in touch with uh, martha stoneman's former marketing director, head of marketing uh, through Instagram oh, yeah. in 2019. Oh, so you, <laughs> you, were, you worked with Martha? Yeah, I did. I was, oh, what a great intro. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, I did some research on her, as she knows, uh, before I even reached out. I did. And that's what I do. Like, I'm like, well, who do I who do I want to like strive to, to become? And after doing the research, I, I saw... Um, Deirdre Heakin of La Garagista. I saw she was gotcha. doing amazing things out in Vermont. And I'm like, okay, yeah. that's probably going to be a bit until I head out to Vermont. Again, this is 2019. So, but I love <laughs> the fact they were working with hybrid grapes. And I yes. was like, oh yeah. my God, like this is the future. And again, yeah. like I said, like I shared with you at the beginning, I'm from Minnesota. I'm originally from Wisconsin. So if you, if for people listening to this, you'll know the ties between Minnesota and Wisconsin when it comes to hybrid grapes. They, yep. The University of Minnesota has cultivated quite a few uh, of very the most popular ones now. Yeah, yeah, like Marquette, you know, yeah. I think Petit Pearl, Fra- Ita- France. Yeah. The, yeah, um, Itasca, I think. Yes, uh, Itasca, Front Noir, yeah. Front Gris, well, Front and Noir, then, all of and those. Tom- I don't know if you know Tom Plocker. I, I interviewed him, but he's, uh, he's, he's right outside of uh, San, uh, Minneapolis, and he's oh, cool. he's got he's got his own private breeding program, and he has like I want to say five varieties that are now some of the most popular ones. Like Petit Pearl is his, and Verona, yeah. and Crimson Pearl, and then a couple that are kind of unnamed at the moment. But yeah, yes. like it's that you know it's the what is it necessity is the mother of invention because they have the yeah. they want to grow grapes but it's brutal in the winter up there and they're Absolutely. trying to do trying to make some hardy <laughs> stuff um plus a great i mean you know <laughs> yeah minnesota is like uh i mean it's cornell minnesota and davis are like our mm-hmm. three big pillars uh i mean i know there are some other great schools fresno and cal poly and you know scattered around who do great viticulture and enology programs but those you know those three have huge big breeding programs and libraries of wines and everything yeah yeah absolutely so sorry so I, I was keep oh, going no, you're good yeah. 
You're totally good. I know. Like I, I sometimes go down rabbit holes and then we segue. And as long as people can keep up and go back, we're good. So well, <laughs> with that. yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to, since, since I'm interjecting, I'm just going to interject and say, I am so happy we're talking. Like, honestly, yeah. I feel like we were twins that were separated at birth and <laughs> somehow found our way it. to each other. Like, at yeah. the, I mean, really my path has followed a similar trajectory to use yours in so many ways. And I'll come back to that, but um, I mean, if you, if, if anybody who is listening to this and who has listened to multiple episodes will know, like you're, you, I basically don't have to say anything because you are saying the things that I've been saying f- f- with every episode of this show. Great. Like ev- it's amazing. Like it's true. I just, I'm resisting saying amen repeatedly <laughs> as you're speaking. So. <laughs> say it, say it. I mean, oh my gosh. I mean. I, I mean, in terms of just like reaction, like it's organic for real. It totally is. So in, yeah. in response to everything happening, like this is why people need to pay more attention to not only so, what's going on here, but yes. everywhere in the United States. So, but yeah, anyway, I was going to say though. Well, yeah, I cut you off. That, you were, you see, it sounds like you picked, like if I was going to suggest to you two people yeah. to have as the best possible mentors with the greatest spectrum, it would be Martha and Deirdre. <laughs> it sounds like yeah. you got them. You found them Definitely. yourself. That's amazing. Yeah. So I would say with, with Deirdre, we, we stay in touch like via phone occasionally. And I, it's, we're on a friend, friend basis. And then same with Martha as well at this point. I mean, I, bo- I look at both of them as Shiro's in my yeah. eyes, even though they're so both generous very humble. too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Both very humble. But I mean, they're badass women. And you know, yeah. shout out to the fact it is women's women's month. I was celebrating hey. women's history. And you know, I it this says, speaks volumes about who I am and how I was raised. I'll I'll just say that and go back to it because I was raised around a lot of strong, powerful, highly intelligent, fierce, fearless women. And that's who I exemplify to be. So when I see there's already women like that in the wine industry who are farmers, who are who are moms, who are married, who are business women, who try to you know maintain a healthy living life balance at the same time, and are tearing it up when it comes to the wines and co-ferments that they're producing, and they're revolutionizing the industry. I mean, it's it's insane, and they're two of they're two of a few I can name, but the few, you know, it's a very small sphere of like, you know, the women who are very hands on with their wine production, and that's how I strive to be. That's why I I did the research on them because I'm like, okay, I wanna I wanna somehow like work with them somehow, okay, <laughs> like in 2019, yep. and <laughs> yep. and it came sooner than I thought. I mean, like I said, in 2019, I was prepping to leave the corporate world. I was like, I'm burnt out from this. This is not where I don't feel like I'm being appreciated. I need to just, you know, build my own business. I have the skill set to do that. And I know I don't know everything, but that's why you get the hands-on experience. That's why you ask, you know, people and you get the mentors, You, you, you get in touch and connect with the right people who also are championing you at the same time. It's a mutual feeling. I, I curated, I, I was intended, I was, I was very intentional with how I was going to curate my wine production experience, especially like entering into that realm of the wine industry. Cause the wine industry is very multifaceted. You got 
You got the retail part. I had experience in that. You got the distribution, you got hospitality, you have, you know, the logistics and the business side, but you also have the production side and the viticulture side. And I knew I wanted to get hands-on experience in both. So it worked out where in early 2020, right before the pandemic, I got in touch with Rosalind Reynolds of ME Wines, who was the internship coordinator of PAX Wines. And, you know, everyone under that whole umbrella of a, of a wine winery. So PAX basically created his winery into a winery co-op in some way by allowing Martha, um, Rain Winery, Carla Mandavi's label. Uh, at the time I was there, um, Scott and Jenny Schultz of Jolie Laid, uh, in addition to, you know, Monterey sellers and quite and a few more that were housed there, had the ability to share resources and produce their wines all there. Okay. Like, I mean, this was yeah. more than what I bargained for. This is more yeah. than what I bargained for. Like, I, I had no idea Martha was producing her wine in a co-shared space like that in some way. Um, but, you know, one thing I noticed was that, okay, it was Pax that owned the whole property, right? From what I understood. And I, but I loved how they were working together. That was key. They were all working together under one roof. They were all helping each other out with producing their wines together. They yeah. weren't, it wasn't just one producer, you know, there, like you typically see in the wine world and consumers, I feel like don't really understand this either. It's very unique to see this. It's a, it's a unicorn moment that we need to see more of where you have, you know, multiple producers under one roof sharing space and eventually sharing equity, you know, in that space that they own that not only is allowing the production of their brands, but also potentially a house brand down the line. So that's, that was interesting for me to see my first harvest during COVID amongst all that fires, smoke taint. And we basically had to come up with a modified form of communication by talking through masks. So if you can imagine, that was a pretty surreal experience. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, yeah. like very, very yeah. surreal experience, but I, I loved every second of it. I did not know what to expect. Everyone was moving fast. You had to think quickly on your feet, um, you know, but I loved it. I loved how adventurous it was. It was very adrenaline rushing for me. And I knew, you know, this, there may be elements in this that are very dangerous. There may be elements in this that are very innovative and creative. However, I loved every second of it, every second. There may be times wherein you're exhausted to the point where you get what is called harvest brain. So for those listeners who don't know what harvest brain is, harvest brain is where you may forget the time of the day, what day of the week it is, what, I mean, where you are at times, because you're so focused and immersed in the wine production process. Like your body, like you, you've already gone beyond you know, exerting your body, your mind and your soul like that. That's where it's like you're on a whole other level and you're just like working on the time of the grapes. And it, it was yeah. it was just a rush. It's a rush. And I, I got I understood why people were attracted to working harvest, why you hear of people chasing harvests around the world. Yeah. It's 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 amazing. It's a thrill. So it's like being during all zone. that. Like that, yeah, the, it, zone, it totally the, the is. zone. What is that? The, the flow state where you're just like, yeah, you, 
but it, but it's like longer <laughs> than almost anything else like it you it know is. it's like it lasts for weeks as opposed to like yeah. uh, you know like an hour or whatever yeah. absolutely yeah harvest harvest like on average depending on where you are in the world can last like from two months to four months depending on if you if it's also not only wine harvest but apple harvest because right. apple harvest is a little longer it starts in july out here and a lot of people are unaware it ends in november sometimes early december depending on what apple varieties you're looking for so it's yep. so it's 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 pretty it's pretty insane like and i loved every second i was like okay this is where i need to be and during that time while i was exhausted i somehow dug deep and had the energy and the and the motivation to write my business plan for my wine label and <laughs> and it was crazy like in terms of that like that's how much I was on fire, symbolically yeah. speaking. I mean, no pun intended, because we, you know, California was on fire during that time right. too. But <laughs> right. I mean, I I feel like in in that Ooh, time though, this, for me, this I is feel like a, in um, that. Go, oh, go, go ahead, ahead, finish your thought. No, finish your thought. Oh, I was gonna say, I feel like in that time for me, that was a time for me to go like chase after my dreams, and yeah. and there were less distractions in the world, and I was able to do that, and then go over to Vermont that same year and work my second harvest. So I went there. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. I, I went the, there. Cause worked. they, they're like a later harvest, right? Yes. Is that there's, what, yeah, yeah. There's overlaps a little bit right, out there. Right. And, yeah. and I know because like, for instance, this year, I know like out here harvest is going to, I'm sure start even sooner. Last year it was mid July. Um, this year, who knows? It could be a little earlier. And out there, it's just a little later than out here. I mean, by like a few weeks, I want to say, maybe a month, depending on where you are. But in Vermont, that was a whole that was a whole trip of an experience. And I loved it in terms of what yeah. I learned, in terms yeah. of what I was exposed to. I got the opportunity to harvest, not only like be in the cellar and be a seasonal assistant winemaker, with somebody else and this was a smaller volume production mind you in comparison to out in california where i was coming from i mean this was this was less than a thousand cases two thousand cases maybe um and this was this was with a ratchet press this was with like a hydraulic ratchet press this was me yeah. like i mean it wasn't like a like one of those massive pneumatic like bladder presses that you see you know crank out like five, 10 ton, 15 tons worth of fruit into like juice. This was like a one ton basket press, a hydraulic one. I mean, this was like as OG as you possibly can make it. And I loved how art, how like arduous and how like strenuous, like the labor intense, the labor intense like aspect of it is what made it even more rewarding for me because uh, totally we're yeah. working with demijohns. We're working with neutral French oak barrels, you know, and in comparison to the big stainless steel five ton, 10 ton tanks that I was or concrete tanks that I was exposed to at out in California. I mean, right. it was polar opposite, but then also got the opportunity to harvest hybrid grapes over 30 varieties out in New Hampshire and then yeah. apples out in in vermont and burlington for cider i mean apple varieties that don't grow out in california but are still right. amazing in cider 
So like yes. Millennium or Northern Lights versus out on the West Coast, you have Newtown Pippin. I think they actually both grow on both coasts. Yeah, I think they yeah, do. That one. Yeah, new, but they taste way different because of the terroir, right? Like because yes, of the whole yeah. climate. So I was very fascinated by that. And they were working with co-ferments. They were doing yeah. apple grape because that's what mostly grows out there. That's cider country, first and foremost, yeah. out there. And maple syrup. I mean, using yeah. that as dosage. Who would have thought? Like, instead of cane (laughs) sugar, I'm like, these people are fucking geniuses. Like, what in the world? Like, you know, and I, you know, I'm not a huge fan of, like, maple syrup on, like, in ferments, like, to a degree personally. But I loved why they were doing it. I loved how they were being sustainable. They were being very sustainable. Working with elderberries out there. I I think it's even better than sustainable. You know what? It's way beyond that, yeah. I I want people to – I want – I, the word I use is ecological because it's it's like yes. this thoughtfulness about what is in your place and what is you know what is thriving there and what is mm-hmm. you know what is what has volunteered to be there that you didn't that you know a human didn't have to put into that system. It's maple Absolutely. trees, you know. It's like what are the sources of sugar? What are the sources of fruit in your in your ecosystem naturally? Let's work with that instead of like bringing in something that maybe you have to do all kinds of stuff to keep it alive there. Anyway, ecological is the word I use, but I, I, I think it's because sustainable is now tied to so many other things that are and You're I'm right. sure ecological will soon be tied to all the wrong things, too. But sustainable is tied to just like, you know, whatever. It's it's kind of meaningless mm-hmm. at this point. And I think what you're talking about is so much more interesting and so much more beneficial than that so yeah no thank you for correcting me no that's that no no not a correction at all i'm just proposing something else because i think that's way no i think now that like you were talking i was thinking about that like no that actually makes more sense it is more ecological friendly to do because you're working with what is renewing on the planet in your area of where you live what's thriving And yeah. you're being resourceful. You're being very resourceful. So no, I think that's the absolute correct term in this case. And we need to do oh, more the, of that out here. One of the things that you mentioned that I'm just jumping back because now it's, mm-hmm. I, I missed my moment to cut in <laughs> and give yeah, like yeah, a little, yeah. <laughs> but you, uh, you first, you talked about Tinterior, you know, these sort of wild Tinterior grapes and, and there are, you know, Alicante Boucher is one of the, you know, mm-hmm. more famous Tinterior grapes. And then they use Tinterior grapes to do like the big, you know, mega purple, mega red additive you know grape juice Mm -hmm. additives to make you know these commercial grocery store wines into big purple you know fruit bombs um Mm -hmm. the cool thing about tinterior and like you said there are uh it seems like i know multiple hybrid varieties that are good wine grapes that are also tinterior growing them in california well there's a couple there's a couple benefits like i i really think california is on the cusp of like a hybrid revolution which i would love Mm -hmm. to be part of and I'm mm-hmm. <clears throat> hopefully, you know, speaking it <laughs> partially into existence now. But one of the benefits is hybrids that are built for East Coast and you know Midwest, high, up, upper Midwest uh, climates. They are bred to. Sh- I mean, they, their genetics know how to ripen grapes within like this really short window, like a ninety to hundred day window, versus you know a lot of vinifera, which needs maybe an extra month beyond that. And because they're used to colder climates, they're also able to sprout earlier. A lot of times, I mean, what's the word I'm looking for? Mm -hmm. Bud earlier. Um, And so you could potentially in California be in barrel by mid-August before the crazy heat spikes and the fire season. And this is with hybrids. The other thing is 
with the tinturier, if you do have a smoke, smoky harvest, you can press it. Off, you can just direct press it off the skins and still yeah. have a lovely wine that is red without mm-hmm. having the smoke taint because you can get rid of that smoke taint from the skins. Anyway, I'm just interjecting these little, you know, additional benefits to those things that you were mentioning about. Yeah, no, definitely. I love that. And so now, like, where were you in your joy in your, in your journey before I interjected? <laughs> um, I mean, you're getting your mind blown in Vermont, and same with me. I I think like what you are doing here, encapsulating them. I absolutely believe and and have been saying this is the future of wine. It should be the future of wine. It will be the future of wine just by necessity, mm-hmm. and they're on the cutting edge out there just by necessity because it's like it, you can't just grow vinifera there so you have to figure you have to be resourceful you have to be innovative and that Mm -hmm. i think has given them more of an ecological approach to wine because it's like you have to work with what does well there because you can't fight nature there like you don't have this gentle climate that you can put in to anything you want like it has to be resilient it has to be hardy it has Mm -hmm. to be a burly fruit that you know a burly plant that you know can handle those brutal cold winters and short summers and yeah, and I think that the absence of that in California has like left us behind because we've just been, you know, recultivating like we've been growing for a market rather than for the, you know, rather than adapting and changing as the world has changed mm-hmm. and and that market is uh, you know, it's it's you know, it's the global monoculture that you were talking about with just a handful Absolutely. of grapes. Yeah. And, yeah. No, that's you're right. You're definitely but right. So we need to you're you're in so you're, you're getting you're in Vermont getting your mind blown. Um, mm-hmm. that I think that's where you were in your journey. If you if yes. you want to pick it up or or to say well, go wherever you want at this point. Yeah, I was in Vermont getting my mind blown, and, <laughs> and with that, <laughs> I I just was fueled even more to really create something of my own while I'm still learning, and I think yeah. I think that's. For me, yes, it's very challenging. I mean, when you think of that as from an entrepreneurial standpoint, that's a huge risk. Like you don't know everything, you know that going into it. But when, like I said earlier, if you surround yourself around the right people, the right and have the right connections that are strategic and it's it's a mutual feeling, it's a mutual win-win. That's, that's another thing about me. Like when I connect with certain people, I want to make sure it's a benefit for both of us. It's a mutual benefit. And I want to see both of us win at the end of the day. So with that, you know, when we share certain things with people in terms of, okay, what we want to do, how we want to grow, how we want to manifest something that we know is absolutely necessary to really diversify and make make like the world more inclusive to like what it's focused on and what, you know, will aid it to transform into its best, then, you know, you got to take, you got to be patient and you got to be very strategic about it. And I feel like for me, that's what I was doing. I, I was building relationships with people amongst building this brand before Mm. it was even LLC'd. And that was something where I knew, okay, so I know I'm going to have this friend. I'm going to have this person I can connect with here next time I'm out in Vermont or these people or these producers, you know? And then during that time, I went back to Ohio after harvest and I was figuring out, okay, am I going to move out to Vermont or California now? And (laughs) 
And I was figuring out, you know, all the costs. I mean, both places are expensive to live in, you know, very expensive. Yeah. And, yeah. and I said to myself while I was getting my pitch deck created, because at the time, you know, I, I put all the money savings I had from working in the corporate world into moving out to California and then starting my business. So I knew I needed more capital though, because it's expensive to make wine. If I, yeah. I don't know if anyone knows that. Yeah. <laughs> it's an understatement. It's an understatement. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very expensive. And, you know, at some point we can all talk about how to make it a little more sustainable when it comes to the financial aspect yeah. um, in this, in this conversation. But with that, I knew, okay, grants are one option. I'm not going to take out loans. I want to get debt-free capital to a degree, but what does that look like? So I said, why not have investors? So I created my first pitch deck and I pitched it to investors and I got my first funding, my first like startup funding. And or I guess they would call it seed funding in this sense. Yeah. And I moved out to California. I road tripped out there with my dad actually. And it was fun, a lot of fun. And as soon as I arrived the week of, I was connecting with more people. I was cultivating friendships out there with like-minded people. And I was immersing myself the very first week when it came into um, partnering with other wine producers who were millennials, you know, or or those who needed help with like bottling, with disgorging, with with even like getting hands-on experience in, in uh, vineyard work. And then eventually I met um, Christopher Renfro of 280 Project. Uh-huh. And he and I, he and I like, you know, we were, we were on Instagram for a little bit um, here and there, like, you know, connecting, communicating, supporting each other in terms of what we were doing, our endeavors. And he, this was around the time when he was really building and catapulting 280 Project in, in 2020 especially. And then 2021, he started the apprenticeship program and he asked me, Hey, would you, you're more than welcome. He invited me to it. I said, yeah, cause I want to get the hands-on experience in viticulture too. So that's yeah. what I did. And I don't know if you know too much about 280. They, um, or yeah, yeah I interviewed do you know? Chris. there's a, there's a great okay. interview with Chris on, on here on the podcast. Uh, awesome. Okay, great. Like so I was going to say with that, that was that was a wonderful experience, a wonderful yeah. hands-on learning experience because I was one of, I want to say there were 10 of us, 10 up-and-coming wine cider producers, wine professionals even, who were either in the wine industry, hospitality, or food industry at some point and were striving to be either farmers and or wine producers. And we... Uh, this was a collaboration, like apprenticeship program involving UC Davis in addition, their, their viticulture and enology program, uh, particularly uh, Dr. Beth Forrestal, shout out to her. And uh, also uh, Steve Mathiason and Jill Mathiason of Mathiason Wines. Yep. So Steve yep. is legendary in the vit and wine world, especially vit. I know he calls himself an ecologist first and foremost. So shout out yeah. to Steve um, with you know, just pioneering regenerative farming practices in viticulture and just farming in general. I mean, this guy, he is ahead of his time. Like you need to check out if he, if, if he allows people to, 
need to check out his global warming vineyard at some point. So it's, it's really cool. Awesome. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I was exposed to that. I was exposed to, you know, putting in irrigation, installing that to tilling to, you know, non-tilling to fertilizing, you know, with or without pesticides, organic pesticides, understanding, you know, vineyard management, like in terms of contracts, even, (laughs) okay, like the business side of certain things. And, and that's something, you know, the people involved, like I said, all of us were in the wine, we all came from wine, food, hospitality already. However, our identities were marginalized. We all were BIPOC, queer and women, mostly. And that's, I think, what was really fascinating and and thrilling and refreshing to see because we are, we exemplify and illustrate what the future of wine, food, and beverage and community look like. And that was really cool, a lot of fun to do. Um, And then also, you know, developing more connections with getting more hands-on experience, traveling to all these different vineyards, orchard sites even. Um, learning uh, with um, with people, educators, viticulturalists who are highly renowned in their industry, in this industry, I should say, scientists even, um, to CEOs, CFOs for prominent wine wine uh, wineries in Napa, to Sonoma, um, also the vineyard in uh, Alamini Farm or at Alamini Farm in San Francisco. Yep. So this is, this is like, this was like the, really the beginning. This was me walking through the door, walking through the door through where my future really was. And what an I exciting also, beginning. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, and this was all, into, this was, this you had all a launch, started. Like, you had like a rocket <laughs> launch pad for your start. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it was surreal, man. It was really surreal. And I, I, you know, everyone around me, like my family, like even friends, um, Ellen and Scott of Tilted Shed uh, Cider Works, yeah. um, they're re- they're really good, really great friends. I consider them extended family for me up here. So and, everyone you've mentioned so far, yeah. I've I've interviewed except for <laughs> except for Deirdre, and she's she has said yes to an interview. We just haven't nailed down a date, but yeah, oh, like yeah. I, yeah. So there's like just anybody listening who wants to learn more about the people that you're talking about there's an episode with everyone um yeah, almost everyone <laughs> so yeah and yeah and some of my what favorite folks as well i mean i think yeah, yeah i think i mean so yeah anyway so it, again like the, the our connections you know mm-hmm. in terms of uh our our journey is so crazy so con- mm-hmm. sorry continue i just wanted to throw oh, that no, in there <laughs> I love well it. let no, me ask you let trying. me so let me um you know, just in, in service of, you, you know, uh, getting to more of what, what you're up to now, I like, yeah. tell me, tell me about what, like, what is the, how are things going now? Like, what is the, unless, unless there are some details that you need to bring, bring into the story to make sure that we know where you are now, please include yeah. them. But also like, no, what, you know, like what, how much are you producing? What kind of, you know, what's, what's the, what are you looking what's at? What's the volume? What's, uh, yeah, yeah. What's your... oh, great questions. Great questions. So yeah, so going back to like Tilted Shed, so I'm bringing them up as well, not only because they're amazing, amazing people. 
Um, and they make amazing cider. They really and do. And they're pioneers. Yeah. But also, you know, getting exposed to horse and plow. I worked with horse and plow wine and cider. I worked worked at a custom crush. So I was exposed to a lot. But I also did a collaborative um, wine-like cider with Tilted Shed in 2021 when I launched my first vintage. Or I, I created my first vintage in 2021. Yeah. And I did a apple Asian pear raw wildflower honey wine infused with fresh pink jasmine flowers with tilted shed and it was a collaborative production with them and sonoma county bee company which is a woman-owned bee honey co-op in sonoma county and we produced this with apples and asian pears coming from the only afro-indigenous farm that organically farms the largest asian pear orchard in the state of california called earthseed and it's located in Sebastopol. So this wait, like, it's called Earthseed. Yeah, it's called Earthseed Farm. You know, you know where that's from, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, they were inspired. <laughs> they they were they were totally inspired by it. I mean, if you check them that's out, awesome. I think it actually says on their website because I came across them in an article courtesy of Ellen. Um, okay. She was the one that like told me about them. I'm like, oh my god, they are like 15 minutes away from us. She's like, yeah. And you need to meet Pandora Thomas. And I'm like, oh my God. Like I read up on her. I was like, whoa, in 2020, this woman, she's black. She's a black woman. Um, This black woman named Pandora Thomas, who has a background in, um, in like, in just working with land. So she's, she's been in land steward. She's been involved in agriculture and regenerative farming practices, especially permaculture farming for quite some time educationally and then she raised over I want to say about 20 million dollars around 2020 to acquire this farm that has been owned by the coastal Miwok people for over 100 years and when I found that out I'm like oh my god I need to meet her (laughs) like (laughs) oh my god around this time like I said this was 2021 so I was focused on like really immersing myself, connecting more with people, building my brand. Also, like I moved out to California in addition to, you know, business and becoming a winemaker and a businesswoman, but also personally, like health wise, it's like Sonoma County. I love living up North because I'm around nature. I, I regenerate and re-energize around nature very well. Um, and it's, I'm surrounded by it every day up here. So from a wellness standpoint, I also moved out here for my own health. And, and with that, I, I loved how we were able to incorporate that with Tilted Shed in, into this collaborative, collaborative wine that we created together. So we created about 48 cases of that, divided it up, uh, 50, 50. So I got 24 cases, almost sold out of that. I think they may have like a few cases left. Um, But with that, with that, like, you know, our goal is, you know, in the future doing more collaborations as well when timing's right. And addition to that, my 2021 volume was a little less than 200 cases total amongst four cuvées. So you have Shereje, which was the collaboration between Tilted Shed and Sonoma County Bee Company. Uh, It means in Swahili, celebration so it's paying an ode to the past present and future of life and the black hidden figures in cider making 
to the pan cultural ancestral practices that influenced the usage of pink jasmine flowers and honey uh, mm-hmm. that were infused and refermenting the cider. So we technically made a sizer when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, if anyone knows what that is, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. that's another that's another term in cider that I feel you know needs to be heard more. People need to be yeah. paying more attention to because honey is a natural sugar um, additive and it's also a fermenter. But because of how viscous it is, you have to kind of dilute it. And in the past, people have used water, but we're not using water here. Remember, we're living in a drought, so use a little bit of cider. Use a tiny bit, mix it up, you know, you can get that kick started. And with that, that's something I'm really interested in working more with. I mean, I am part Ethiopian on my mom's side of the family, and that's what also inspired me to create Sherehe, uh, especially when you look up the, the whole background on it. And Ethiopians have been making honey fermented beverages for so long. I mean, yeah. longer than European wine has ever existed. And yeah. it was made at, it was it's made with herbs and water. However, of course, like with Sherehe, we don't add water. We added cider instead. So that's where it's more of a modern take on Tej, the Ethiopian honey wine, fermented honey yeah. wine. And the, our herb replacement was pink jasmine. So with that, mm. I decided to, you know, increase my volume in 2022. So in 2022's harvest, I came out with eight different cuvées, one collaborative one, and we'll stay tuned on revealing who that is once timing is right. Because um, we're let, we're, we've already bottled it. However, it is aging at the moment. It's going to be a sparkling Perry um, with Rebola Giala grape skins that were rehydrated with Asian pears. Mm-hmm. And we're just really excited for that one to be unveiled uh, when timing's right. And definitely introduce you to who, who that producer is. But uh, <laughs> with that, um, with that being said, I also produced more ciders this past year. I was able to produce a muscat, a skin contact muscat, uh, 10, 12 day. And that's another great grape. I feel like great grape. Oh, I don't know why I so said that. Great, great grape. <laughs> Great, great. I mean, another. it's one of those where I, I've, I've probably have said this before, but when I taste the grapes, I'm like, oh, I maybe I shouldn't even make this into wine. It's so good. Just yeah, as a grape, it's you know? like, too good. It's too good. Yeah. But that's like once that one, it's too good. And I mean that. I mean, once I'm planning on releasing that one a little later, like spring, summer, just FYI. But when that timing is right. I mean, I cannot wait for you all to taste her. Oh my God. She's so expressive. And I use Muscat Blanc. So I was able to produce about, um, I would say, total amongst all the cuvées, um, the projected amount for 2022, because not everything is bottled yet, mind you, will be a little less than a thousand cases. So I'm coming from less than 200 cases in 2021 to a thousand, about a thousand cases total of, of everything max amongst yeah. eight different cuvées. So that, that's a that's, big, yeah. That's, that's a big jump. It yeah. is. And I did that intentionally <laughs> with my like 10 year plan. I mean, I have a 10 year plan, mind you, Adam, with like, right. with how, Good. you know, I'm growing and expanding and eventually you know, it will involve 
more NOLO beverages, meaning low alcohol, non-alcoholic beverages down the line, because that's where I feel we're heading as a society. And people don't want to jeopardize the flavor. They don't want to jeopardize the high qualityness. So that is the next focus for Mad Marvelous is transitioning to, you know, not only like growing, but also adding on to the collection for people who may or may not be able to drink alcohol. Okay. Like, I mean, the highest ABV alcoholic wine I produce is 13.3% and that's Mad Maxine only because it's like, you know, a tannic red, it's a tannic red. So with that, I have on the other side of the spectrum, like Sherehe, that's the lowest one. That's 7%. Yeah. 7% alcohol. And I did, we did that intentionally because we wanted it to be a wellness based like beverage, wine, like beverage. And that's what it is. So yeah. it's, and it's, it's a great alternative to champagne. I yeah. mean, and all these other sparkling wines, cause it behaves like one. I mean, it's not as carbonated and, and it is dry, but it's very refreshing in, in a way where it makes you feel good afterwards from everyone yeah. that has, that has, purchased it, tasted it along with Palm Quincy, same thing. They love how it makes them feel afterwards. Like they can, they can function. They're yeah. functional beverages. And that's another key thing with the future of Mad Marvelous. We're focused on making more of those. We're focused yes. on working with herbalists, with forage foragers, uh, in addition to expanding our team eventually. And then collaborating more with producers, whether it's in the United States or out of the United States or both. So I'm really excited for that, for that timing. And I'm, I can't wait to like share and unveil more with you all when it comes to what's next for Mad Marvelous and how, and also in the future, we're going to be doing, you know, dining experiences where, I mean, all my wines and ciders are foodie friendly. I, I've, I don't know if I shared this at the beginning, but my very first job ever, like legally, was at 15 and it was in food. I, I worked at Cold Stone Creamery and, oh, nice. and I grew up in a foodie family. I grew up around cooking in the kitchen with my dad and and soul food. And, you know, I didn't grow up around wine, mind you, but and that came you know, while I was in college, the exposure and then eventually realizing I want to be able to elevate wine to an art form the way I create it and, and respected on the same level as fine wine and cider that Europeans respect. So that's, that's something where I feel knowing my mindset, knowing my goals, knowing my vision, my talent, my gifts and my skill, I can do that. I can make that happen. Um, However, I also know with that, you know, community investment to a degree would help with that along the lines when timing's right. So with that being said, you know, access to space, larger space, that's, that's a challenge for me right yeah. now. Like yeah. that's a challenge for a lot of small producers, especially yeah. cider me, producers. Me too. <laughs> me too. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I'm in and Los Angeles. Know, so it's, yeah, it's a little, it's, it's insane here. Yeah. I was going to say, like, I think there's only a few producers down there that have their own space, right? Like that's right. Yeah. And those who do, it's very small. 
because I think of the zoning purposes and just how expensive it is like to get to just lease or own down there. Like exactly. Buildings or yeah. Yeah. But anyway, thank um, you. You're set. You, you are, uh, <laughs> you're singing yeah. my song. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we yeah. get, we feel it up here too. So, I mean, with that, it's, it's something I know is a, is a problem that I feel there's always been a solution for as a matter of how sustainable a solution is. And when you when you factor in like the workplace, the wine winery workplace or workplaces in general in the wine industry and the food industry, um, I've realized, you know, being in that arena, I've been in food overall. If you were to like sum up all the experiences I had in food, working in food, because it was on and off amongst working in corporate, as, as, as I shared, amongst yeah. wine. It overlapped as well. I, I probably worked in food on and off for about 15 years. And it was longer than wine, mind you. That's what a lot of people don't know about me. I feel like, mm. as I tell people, I feel like I've lived many different lives for how young I am already. <laughs> uh, I mean, because it's a lot. It is a lot. Like when people, and I'll admit that it is a lot, but I just learn best through hands-on experience. I learned very well, very quickly uh, through hands-on experience where I can apply it and execute it successfully and and teach others how to do it. So I've been able to do that along the way, um, yeah. being in training and development, all of that, coaching leaders even. But I'm, I feel like I can apply those same skills now to what I'm building with my other business, which is the Bathing Collective. And I feel like that is a solution that will help so many people, not only the community, the economy, the ecosystem, but especially marginalized people. And I, what, I what came is up the, with, can you describe the bathing collective? How is that a, a business? Yeah. 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 Like what is, so the bathing collective will be the first for-profit like lifestyle company that is going to be more focused on having a network. I should say a lifestyle network like company with co-shared workspaces that are for creatives, food, wine, beverage professionals, and educators and consumers. And it's think of it more of like, originally we, I was thinking, okay, this is, is this a co-op? Cause originally I was thinking this would be a for-profit worker owned and community-owned winery and farm cooperative. And then I was thinking to myself, well, if we want the community to invest in us, they need to understand, like, this is a multi-enterprise, but we don't want to talk corporate, right? We don't want to be like that, <laughs> but right, that's right. what we are. I mean, we're going to have multiple income streams built within this infrastructure that happens to house different co-shared workspaces that would include a winery, a culinary commercial kitchen with chefs who can share that space and a farm or land partnerships, or I should say both, and or land partnerships where we work with local farmers and starting in Sonoma County, Sacramento, like Northern California, comes to building that network of people that we know want to share the wealth. They, they want to share their resources in return. They want some form of equity or they want some form of royalties. And that's what we're working on. That's, that's, that's why the Bathing Collective is a business. 
It is a community organization and it is a business. That's what it is. And that's why I feel like it, after talking with the team, because there is a team behind this as well, um, that involves chefs and wine producers and cider producers and people who are in the wellness community as well, like wellness business, I should say. So ranging from, you know, honey to cannabis to fitness to all those other aspects to just different, just cultivating creative experiences, even and artists. And this is supposed to be not just for us having accessible space to create our products, create service, provide service, create educational uh, seminars and spearhead them and, and community community um, atmospheres, community spaces like kinfolks, but also in Oakland, but also um, with that, they're there for us to have and create a living income for those who invest into this business and work part of it to help create the products. So that, that is what the bathing collective will be. We're in the process of raising funds for it because we know grants um, and our own, you know, personal savings are not going to be enough. They're not going to suffice. And knowing the fact that we're also, we know the worker owners will have some form of equity in this. They do. And we want to open it up for the community as well. We want to open it up for private investors, angel investors, uh, venture capitalists to a degree. But we also want to make sure, you know, that piece of the pie, you know, is just is justifiably given or provided or invited to people we know who are really on the same like level as us, like mindset wise, you know, yeah. like in terms yeah. of the like mindedness, like they understand we're mission driven. This is for the future. This right. is why I tell people like that I was sharing this. Um, Two earlier on before talking more about it publicly back in late 2020, early 2021. Um, you know, I said, this is bigger than me. This is supposed yeah. to be bigger than me. This is not just like a solution for Mad Marvelous to have their own space, you know, have a piece of equity in, in, a, in a form of real estate that is very rare for people who look like me to have right now. But I know that's changing. I am a black woman who happens to not only own her own wine business, but is also the producer of it. And it's a natural wine and cider business. It's one that uses organic fruit. It's one that focuses and strives for high quality products. And on top of that, when I see there are friends of mine and people all over California, and I know it's, it's, it's like very, it's even more challenging when you go further out East, when you see natural wine and cider producers as small as me, I am a small wine and cider producer right now. And I don't see myself, you know, exceeding more than 10,000 cases like for my brand, because I don't want to be a big wine brand. I want to focus on high quality over quantity. I want to focus on people understanding that. And I know there's so many other small producers in that same mindset that same mission-driven mindset where they want to work together. They want to share equity in a space that has a winery, that has the ability to also 
allow cider producers to produce their product in without any like issues with cross contamination or, or threat or anything like that. Or have like a area where you could do co-ferments and that's not a problem. And then area for brewing at some point. But to start, because a lot of us out here who are who are in the beverage industry and entrepreneurs, production entrepreneurs, we are winemakers and we need our own space and we are willing to share that space together, share resources, share the equipment and also put in the work to build our own house brand of of the business that we each have equity in. And we also, on top of that, for those who are employees or work for the business, they get a living income. So we are revolutionizing. We, I feel like along with Calche, they, they are doing a wonderful job out in Vermont. And I love how they're pioneering it to, you know, Robert Clay in Texas, Austin Winery. We need to do something out here that reflects the landscape of what the landscape needs, of what our community makeup needs, what our ecosystem needs. And we need the Bathing Collective to exist, not only in Sonoma County, not only in East Bay, not only in Sacramento, knowing that's an up and coming wine region. It had wine country prevalence, Back in the 1800s, early 1900s, and then now it's coming back a little bit, you know, Um, people are realizing native grapes, native grapes are another one I know we didn't talk too much about, but along with hybrid grapes, native grapes are part of the future where wine is heading. And there's a lot of native grapes that grow out in that aspect of California. And I know near, near L.A., I know down in LA, there's quite a few like abandoned vineyards. There's a lot of that. And knowing we are strategically placing these TBC satellite campuses that have winery co-ops inside of them. And you have a specific number of winemakers, cider producers. They can either go, go on tiers of, you know, being worker partners to, you know, having part ownership in in TBC and then also getting, a, you know, a living income and then eventually being eligible for royalties within, you know, five to 10 years or something of that sort, because we want to be able to put the money back into the business, let it grow a little bit yeah. before, yeah. you know, we really reap the benefit uh, and then, you know, have employees, actually have employees and then have custom crush clients at some point as well. So, we see our, that's where, that's why I said we are a multi-enterprise without being corporate about it. Okay. We are. Yeah. And having a commercial kitchen, that's a whole other program right there. Yeah. It's a whole other program. I mean, we're not only going to be producing products like on the winery side that are house brand, we're also going to be producing dining experiences, traveling ones. Okay. Traveling ones that are strategically placed in different places all over the United States that are very cultural driven to those internationally, eventually, where we partner with chefs that are known as TBC partners, those who, you know, work with us and along with wine producers, cider producers as TBC partners, those are individuals who work with us and have the opportunity to gain mutual exposure, marketing wise, social media wise, Um, We champion each other, basically, but they also will have the opportunity in the future to own 
or be eligible to own equity in the business. And we would be able to, for instance, if let's say it's a coffee shop that becomes like a TBC partner, they have equity in us or we have equity in them, vice versa. And then in return, we champion for each other marketably, publicly, products, services. And then we, you know, negotiate, hey, we get to use your resources, such as your venue space, okay, like without any additional cost, because we have ownership in that or, or whatever the situation is in terms of ownership in TBC. So this is, this is where I feel like we're heading. And in terms of like the land partnerships, farms, we're yeah. not only going to own equity in land, we're also going to have land partnerships. Because I yeah. feel like that's a, that's a smart move to take, knowing there's so many elderly who own farmland and they may not have descendants. They may not have people who really want to take on that responsibility and, you know, really cultivate the land more in a regenerative way and eventually like certified organic way. Of course, it takes time. It takes a few years. But yeah. that's the goal. You know, you want to be as regenerative as possible. And that's what we strive for as well is that balance. It's not just, you know, human beings, people having a living life balance and able to like really, you know, fuel their lives, however way, if it's educationally, entrepreneurially with their business, like we want to be able to provide those resources for them, apprenticeships, internships. And that's where land partnerships would help tremendously because if sure. we have if we're providing the education platform for people to come in and intern and apprentice with us, whether it's in viticulture, whether it's in um, gardening, medicinal herbs, you name it, like all of that, or in the winery even, or, you know, if they're out in the orchard, they can be assigned to certain areas while still getting paid for their apprenticeship, for their internship, because we've all been there. For those who've worked harvest, okay, it's it's a it's a challenge to get a living pay, especially if you're traveling outside of the state of California yeah. to work harvest, okay, or anywhere, anywhere in the world, right? Anywhere, <laughs> and <laughs> it's not just California, but anywhere. And then again, you got to worry about housing, so that's another thing we yeah. want to make sure the housing situation is is already taken care of or at least available as an yeah. option for them if they don't have accommodations. Because that, that is a stress that they don't need. I mean, I've had it. I know a lot of people have had it with harvests and with internships as well and apprenticeships. So we want to be able to put those people at ease and really focus on why they're there. And that's learning and helping, yep. helping like cultivate the land and also get, get paid like what they deserve, you know, a living, yep. living income based on like what the state or the area of where they are is for the bathing collective. Cause it will, I feel like it will vary for the most part because of you know, the cost of living in certain areas, but we want to make sure it's consistent across the board. But those are details, of course, you know, we, we would discuss more um, when that timing is right. But for the most part, that's what the bathing collective is. It's the future of where okay. we're heading. Got it. And it's yeah. and knowing ask- diverse and inclusive enterprises, the future we, are an example of that got it let me ask you a maybe a maybe this is a a good question to end on Mm -hmm. um but just going back to your approach to and perspective on wine which obviously is you know much bigger than what i think the idea of wine has been up until you know 
recently <laughs> because of people like you. Um, how how is that received in the area where you're doing that? And and obviously, it sounds like you're you're finding people who are you know uh, who share that vision. But has there been any difficulty in or just you know I, I don't know any pushback whether it's not like direct pushback or confrontation or anything like that but do you do you find i don't know yeah what's the reception of of this approach been in you know the area that you are in which is you know really wine capital america mm-hmm. essentially mm-hmm. yeah no that's a great well, question tr- w- w- not not <laughs> wine it's not wine capital america it's the you know, sort of the, the, the colonial vision of wine capital of America, yeah, the, uh, the imported wine capital of America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the leading, leading um, economic uh, contributor in wine in the United States. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. California. Yeah. Right. And you're um, in the epicenter right <laughs> and being there in Sonoma, you know, Sonoma, Napa, that, you know, that little, area is is also the epicenter of california i'd say with for wine at the, at the moment yeah and cider i feel like is i feel like sonoma county has become is on the come i up. think you're absolutely right yep, yeah yeah absolutely um that's you're going to see more of that in the future as well especially natural wine especially yeah. natural cider um yeah. involving grapes as well but, uh, but I mean, anyway, even that, I guess that brings that. up my, that that's oh, yeah. to my, my question really is like even cider, I imagine gets a little pushback. Yeah. I mean, I know there's a, you know, has been a trend of just ripping out these old orchards to plant mm-hmm. Pinot Noir vineyards, you know, in Sonoma. Mm-hmm. And, and so there, you know, that's a form of pushback. And I guess, you know, are you seeing that change? Are you seeing, are you seeing more of, you know, status quo winemaking and, or, you know, are you seeing your perspective being embraced or being rejected or being dismissed mm-hmm. or anything like that in, in that environment where, you know, where these things, where that, you know, where the, we have a very traditional, like, you know, five grape monoculture. <laughs> but yeah. and when I say very traditional, I mean, you know, in the last 50 years, it's become traditional, but it never was before that. Mm-hmm. No, that's a great question. I would say... Yes, I I think people are becoming more receptive and more welcoming. They're they're more curious. I feel like initially when it comes to, you know, being introduced to Mad Marvelous and and the fact that you know I I made Janet Delight an apple grape wine, the the sustainable byproduct of Mad Maxine. I reused those grape skins with Carignan um, from Horse and Plow and rehydrated them with Newtown Pippin apples and Rhode Island greening apples. Mm. So that I feel like people are going to see more of, and as long as it tastes delicious and it's good and it's high quality, you know, I feel like people are going to be more welcoming of it. Once they get their heads wrapped around like, Oh wait, this is like Paquette, right? Because Paquette has been like, I mean, people had to wrap their head around that for a moment when they realized, wow, this is like a revived ancient technique that people used, you know, around the time of like when the Mediterranean was very prominent and in terms of making wine and the peasants getting like the sustainable byproduct to, to just enjoy after a long harvest day. So, I mean, it's, 
you know, it's quite interesting how we're going from that and we're, and we're seeing how the past is, is kind of repeating itself a little bit, or, is, or I shouldn't say repeating itself, but it's like, it's more influential towards how we're thriving, how we're figuring out how to thrive in our industries and in this world, how, how we're trying to work with nature a little bit more and be innovative, but also being open to repurposing uh, certain things and, and just creating, I feel, I feel like this is a time where we're experiencing a renaissance. I've talked to quite a few people about this already. Like I felt it since 2020 before Beyonce like (laughs) came out with her album. But anyway, um, (laughs) (laughs) with that, um, I feel like a lot of people did. And with that, you see a lot more creative, creative happenings, right? Like you see a lot of that. And I feel like more consumers who are becoming more predominantly millennial and Gen Z. And I know baby boomers, they're still there. Okay. We got, we got some traditionalists still there too, but it's mainly millennials and Gen Z. We need to focus more on because they're focused on working with climate change. They're focused on striving for a better future for wellness. And that's what Matt Marvelous is about. I mean, they're yeah. not afraid of reviving ancient techniques as long as they're useful, as long as they get the job done, right? You yeah. know? Um, and I feel like the way I produce my wines and ciders as naturally as possible, I'm not afraid to use sulfur, but I try to minimize that as much as possible. And if and if it's unnecessary, I won't add any. So, and if I see there's volatile acidity in one of my wines or ciders, I know how to respond to it. I work with nature, not against it. I don't sulfur the shit out of it or anything like that or, or, or add any any artificial things that should not be there that are masking the personality. So for instance, Palm Quincy, the, one of the main reasons why I infused it with lemon verbena and chamomile is because I had some volatile acidity before I bottled it. And Got it. I realized with Roman chamomile, I don't know if anybody out here is like geeking out over like the differences between German or Roman chamomile here, but um, (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. With that Roman chamomile has more of that honey, honey note to it. Like it's still a yellow floral note, but it has a nice aromatic and flavor profile that resembles honey like wildflower honey a little bit. So when you infuse it, and I only infuse this with the lemon verbena that kind of helped elevate the volatile acidity. And I feel like the Roman chamomile with the German chamomile blend, it it just like made everything smoother and more texturized. It it kind of like smoothed out and texturized the volatile acidity. And that's why it is a bestseller. I feel like because the complexity and people and it's, it's kind of fizzy too, but like, it's not like a a true sparkling wine, like Shirehe. And that's, that's exactly why, like, I feel people are becoming more receptive to it because one, I've had feedback from people who did not like cider before they've had my cider, Palm Quincy. And they're like, this doesn't even taste like Crispin or Angry Orchard or Golden State. This is like, this tastes like, 
a wine. This tastes like a wine. I'm like, but it, and they, they were asking me like, wait, and there's no grapes in here. I said, no, it's just apples and quince. That's it. Yeah. And there's lemon verbena and chamomile. That's it. So what does that sound like to you? That sounds like a, like a wellness beverage almost. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 So people are focused tonic. on drinking more functional. Yeah. Tonic almost. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's a 10% tonic. Uh, but, <laughs> but with that, with that, like, that's something I feel people are be like, once they're introduced to it more, and that's why expanding my brand, you know, being able to, to ship across the United States and have enough in volume to do that, you know, that I feel the exposure is what they need. And yeah. then that's really going to help them understand. I mean, out in Vermont, they already got it on lock. They already got it on lock, like in terms yeah. of like, they make, they, they produce, I know quite a few producers out there produce their wines and ciders similar, similar to how I do. Um, yeah. I'm, or, or I should say we, we practice similar, similar things. Yes. Uh, yeah. And I've also been inspired by them. So that, that's yeah. another thing too. I mean, I saw what they were doing and I'm like, oh my God, like, why didn't I, like, no one else is doing this like out here. Like what? Like, this is crazy. Like, this is something if you, if you read deep in history, like I said, you're going to find, this is like what indigenous were doing. This is what enslaved black people were doing. This is to, to survive as yep. medicine, you know, like they were working with the land. They were working with, with natural resources, native grapes. I mean, I got to give a shout out to, um, Matt Meese of North American Press because he's another another. I don't know if you've talked to him yet, but uh, oh yeah, yep, yeah, <laughs> yes, okay, definitely. Awesome. Yeah. All right, so Matt he, Matt is like on my speed dial. Yeah. Oh my god, I love it. Okay, so he see, I need to listen to more podcasts first of all. Like I listen to a lot, a lot of music. I, I need to listen to more podcasts. So I'm glad to hear that you've you've talked to quite a few people that have been very influential and inspiring for me. Um, yeah, no. So, well, and I think yeah. similar to you, I'm going to put you in that group where I really all of all of you guys are really forging what I think is the future if if we're going to have one in wine in California. We will. So it's, we will. Yeah. We yeah. need we need the rest <laughs> right, of the no, US, I, We will. That's why we yeah. need big wine companies to invest in us because there you go. Yeah. they're the ones who are willing to put in the work to as Matt and I have talked about be, become a vineyard chaser. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, go after those u really unique sites that are hard to find with being funded by these big wine companies. If they want to be on the good side of history with working with climate change, not against it, then we need yeah. to search for more like more fruit like that. Native grapes that taste delicious, getting innovative um, and creating them as naturally as possible. Giving, give us the space to do that. Give us the resources to do that because that's what the people want. They want more innovative products. I feel yeah. like, like I said, I'm going back to Pinot and Chardonnay. There's always going to be a market. Don't get me wrong. There's always going to be one because there's always going to be a consumer group who just loves that. Okay. Um, yeah. No matter the price, no matter the price. And I know in the future you know, Pinot and Chard, I did share, I feel it's not going to be very relevant in the future because they can't keep up with climate change at all. Um, so hybrid grapes are going to, we're going to see more of those. We're going to see more native grapes. So with yep. that, 
invest in cultivating the land more or in businesses more that are interested in still salvaging the wine industry, but we're willing to do it in a more innovative way. Yeah. Like we, we've really... already have a benchmark. We already have proof yeah. of concept. Okay. We already, Matt already has proof of concept with yeah. how you can, you can produce a delicious hybrid grape wine with native grapes in it. Okay. Like a, as naturally as possible. All right. Like, and create yeah. a sustainable byproduct after that, you know, yeah, like, so I, I'm, I, yeah, I mean, for anybody, I, I this is like, I want to talk to the, just for a second for anybody, not that anybody at this point is listening, who is like a big cab, <laughs> you know, vineyard owner in Napa, but mm-hmm. I mean, maybe on the off chance that those people come across Matt's uh, 2022 Baco Noir, I mean, to mm-hmm. see what's potential, like I taste it in barrel and I'm like, this would like, yeah. It would rival. I mean, it will just end the argument of like, or it will just change people's mind. Like you, there is no point in thinking less of hybrids once you have a wine like Matt's 2022. Like it's just a stunningly beautiful, delicious, as good as anything that's being made in Sonoma or or Napa, hands down, full stop. Like it's fantastic. And Absolutely. I'm sure there are others like that. I'm sure your wines are similar. I just haven't had as many. I just have, have had his. And I, you know, it's one of those where it's like, it's just a pure, it's like a single variety of yeah. a hybrid grape. And you can just be Absolutely. like, okay, I, right. What, he doesn't spray it, you know, on the Sonoma Coast. It's like, <laughs> this is what's possible, you know, for anybody, just from an economic standpoint, anybody who wants to like reduce their input costs, you know, hybrids, yeah. like, and, and without fear of reducing the quality mm-hmm. done anyway, yeah. I've, yeah, I've, you're right. And so anyway, people would have, and the, the big wine companies, the people who invest in us will know, okay, they have people who are willing to cultivate the land, who are willing to vineyard manage, who have the skill and the expertise and the knowledge to do that. I mean, there's there there would be a larger team, a legion, an army of people that would yeah. be involved with the bathing collective to do all of this. I mean, where it it's it's cultivated in a regenerative way where machinery is not involved heavily in the process. I mean, it's the way that like natural low intervention wine producers would would utilize and cultivate the land if they're farmers as well, if they're vignerons. So yeah. so with that it's absolutely necessary. Like what Matt is doing is part of the future. What I'm doing, Mad Marvelous is part of the future. What Cal Che is doing is part of the future. All the people out in Vermont, um, Erin of American Wine Project, what she's doing out in Wisconsin with hybrids, she's doing amazing things. What they're doing in Austin Winery, you know, with Ash Wines, Adrian Ash, like, you know, they're, like they're growing amazing grapes down there, working with the the climate in, in Austin, Texas, in such a phenomenal finesse, you know, and making gorgeous ass wines in the process. Yeah. Like we're gonna see up and coming wine regions that you would not ever that your that your grandparents would never fathom existed in the first place in the South, out east, in other areas of California. You're gonna yeah. see a shift of what that makeup looks like even more when it comes to ownership, when it comes to equity, when it comes to land partnerships, collaborations, 
uh, to co-shared spaces. Um, all of that, you know, is what is part of the bathing collective. And that would exemplify why it is very important for the community and big companies to invest in the future, to invest in us. And mm-hmm. that's, that's something where I feel like even with Mad Marvelous, like I tell people, that's why I'm predominantly DTC. I will always be predominantly DTC because I want people to experience not only Mad Marvelous, but a part of me because Mad Marvelous is a part of me. And I'm a very like, very, I'm someone who loves cultivating immersive storytelling experiences about my wine. Like I feel like people. <laughs> you and I really, are like, so similar. It is ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's like, like, I mean, I like storytelling. I love yep, storytelling. Yep, so. this is my, that's my tradition. Yeah, like that's exactly, I mean, honestly, like the wine is almost an excuse. Like if I can't tell the yeah. story, it's like, why am I even making wine? Like if this, like, I mean, that's what I think about when I go to make decisions about wine making is mm-hmm. like, is there a story to tell here? If not, like maybe I'll just get the grapes from or the fruit from somewhere else. Or, you know, maybe I'll make something more interesting out of it by blending it with something. You know, I start thinking about like, why why am I doing this? And if I, if there isn't a story there, like what, like I have, like my reason for making it goes away. I don't want to just make a nice wine. Mm-hmm. You know, I want a nice wine that's got a great story as well. Yeah. And is for, why... for has, it's like a mission based wine, you know, it's like, it's yeah. got a story to tell on its own. That's um, why I love you... like what, Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to add one thing. That's what I love about like what Fable Farm and La Gragista Right. Along with like Ethan, the Viapodus do with their wine experiences out there. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, I would love, love to like do something like that out in Vermont, like with yeah. Mad Marvelous in the future, you know, when timing's right. And they know I'm overdue for visiting, first of all. They all know that. <laughs> um, anyway, um, I'll just say a few things here. So to just, really have us go go throughout our day um when it comes to mad marvelous you can always purchase direct through me through my website um i am going to be launching a brand new website very soon so stay tuned for that in the next couple of days and then it will be madmarvelous.com that you all should visit to purchase uh, the rest of my 2021 vintage uh, creatures so janet delight Sherehe, Mad Maxine, and Palm Quincy. And then in the next couple of months, stay tuned for the 2022 vintage because I'll be releasing some delicious, wonderful, beautiful, highly aromatic, decadent wines I'm very proud to share with the world. In addition to so many other experiences with you all that I'm going to invite you all into when it comes to just really understanding more of Mad Marvelous and and stay tuned for more, uh, more expansion, you know, and then also when it comes to the bathing collective, we have our first fundraising event on Sunday, March 26th at Kinfolks in Oakland. That's a black owned coffee shop slash culture slash wine bar slash community space, um, that is thriving right now and is all about, you know, really elevating the community for its very best in however way through collaboration, we are partnered nope. with Co-Fermented and Shitty when Wine is that? Beans. That's on Sunday, March 26th. 15 natural wine and cider producers that are predominantly BIPOC, queer, and women um, that make bomb-ass, high-quality, 
beverages. We're also going to have some non-alcoholic options in addition to chefs as well, who are going to be presenting food for you all to have. And then at the end, you all get some wellness goodie bags from our sponsors. So some of our sponsors are Liquid IV, uh, Sonoma County Bee Company, Potley, and we have so many more that we can't wait to share with you all. Uh, but in the meantime, um, I had such a pleasure talking with oh you. Oh, my God. <laughs> I am so glad that we talked. <laughs> like, I can't tell you. I mean, you made, I just will say, as the as my way of thanking you, you know, I, you've said everything that I would have wanted to say, and you just made my job easy because I could just ask you to, to speak, and you, I don't have to say anything <laughs> because, uh, yeah, so, so, uh, so much alignment, and it's so great to talk to you and to meet you. I thank you so much for your time and sharing all this. Yes, thank you so much for inviting me on. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And I just wanted to give a quick shout out to a couple other sponsors for this podcast who didn't get mentioned at the top, but who have incredible services and things that may help you that might benefit the world. And they will be listed in our show notes. That's Oom. And you can find them at oom.earth and mention you heard about them here. And the other one is Catavino Tours. And that's catavinotours.com slash OWP. And just mention you heard about them here on the Organic Wine Podcast, which will also benefit the podcast. And those services are fantastic. Oom, you will find out, provides bottles for winemakers. So if you are a winemaker, you might really want to look into them. And Catavino Tours provides gorgeous luxury tours in Portugal and Spain and they care very much about reducing the ecological impact of travel for these purposes and making it a much more meaningful and uh, beneficial experience for everyone involved. So check them out and enjoy.